What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hey everybody, welcome to the beginning of a very special series brought to you by Ledger and FWB, the social network called Friends and Friends with Benefits. Um, very special for me because I'm joined by my daughter, Zoe Rogers. Hey Z, how are you? Hey Dad, uh, I'm doing great. This is uh, this is the first in a series of interviews that we're going to do together, which we've never done before. By the way, my first podcast interview ever. So this is Oh, come on. You've been me. doing radio since you were 13 um, years old. It's true. I've been doing radio for a long time, but not talk radio, so it's different. Um, so, yeah, so what we wanted to do, I actually have been a member of FWB since the beginning in 2020, and I now work um, on digital events for the Discord or for the DAO. And so what we wanted to do was a series of interviews together. And this is kind of our first collaborative effort between Ledger and FWB. And we're leading up this summer to the second iteration of FWB Fest, where we really take the kind of URL community of FWB that mostly lives on a Discord and is now starting to live in an app. And we convene um, in a physical location, um, actually in this beautiful place called Idlewild, California, where there's this amazing liberal arts um, high school and we take over the campus. Um, and it's part music fest, part concert, or sorry, part conference, and um, just kind of all hanging out and talking about things. And so what we wanted to do was line up some interesting interviews to get everybody kind of excited about, you know, creative culture and creative custody leading up to this big FWB event. And so today, um, on this very first inaugural episode, we're going to be talking to Alex Zhang, who's the mayor of the Discord. Um, and we'll go in a little bit more in the interview to like what exactly that means. So never fear. But to kick everything off today, we're going to figure out what FWD is up to, how we got here, and you know, get ready for some really interesting conversations over the next couple of months. Excellent. Let's do it. I'm going to, I want to get into the, um, uh, the, the bio of, of you, Alex, but let's start off, um, Alex, what was the most recent concert you saw and what was the first concert you ever saw? Man, first off, uh, super happy to be here for the first one. It's really special to see the dynamic between you two and to be a fly on the wall even for the first couple of minutes is, has been very, very adorable. And I'll just kind of chime in to say I'm also a college radio head and ran my college radio station at USC. So I definitely think there's some weird kindred spirits between folks who somehow find their way into the weird world of web three or community work or whatever, yep. you know, community culture work. And I think the, the loveless, the, 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 the loveless labor that goes into running and operating a student run radio station, uh, yep. is, 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 uh, you know, I think we all tap into a special place there. Um, so that, that was a fun fact I didn't know about either of you guys, but, um, yeah, first concert, last concert, let's see. Um, I'll start with last concert uh, was uh, I went to Coachella for just Sunday to go see 
to go see Fortet Freda again and Skrillex just because I was very curious about, um, you know, clearly, clearly they've been having a meteoric kind of zeitgeist moment. And I was just curious to see how that translated into like the headlining slot at Coachella after Blink-182, which is like a legendary slot. Wow. And I thought what they did there was really, really creative and phenomenal where they brought the stage out into the middle of the crowd and did no visuals, which was like something that a headliner has never, ever done. Uh, so that was really, really uh, interesting and cool to see. Um, and then first concert, it's probably something embarrassing, like Wiz Khalifa or Shwayze or something when I was like in sixth grade. That's not yeah. so embarrassing. I've heard, I've heard much more embarrassing <laughs> when I ask this question. AZ, real quickly, what was your first, most recent concert and, and your first? I think I know your first, and I wonder yeah, if you do. you would know your first maybe before you do. Yeah, I'm I think sure. I, I... I think I know my... I think you guys took me to see Paul Simon when that's I was correct. a tiny, oh, tiny wow. baby. She was about yeah. eight months old. It was the Rhythm of the Saints tour. Yeah, yeah. that is oh, that is factual. God. My hearing is totally shot from all of the years of, of going to concerts with my dad. Not, not um, nine-inch shows, that you, the one you took me to in Paris a couple of years ago. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And then this week, um, on Friday, I saw the Hold Steady here in Portland, and they they just put out a new record, and, and it was funny because it, their banner on the stage said "Established 2003, 20 years of the Hold Steady," and I was like, "That's the year I started Zoe Radio," and it was like, definitely Hold Steady was absolutely on those first playlists. So it was really fun to go to that concert uh, this week. What about you, Dad? Um, my first concert, my sister took me to see REO Speedwagon at the Notre Dame ACC, 1979. And then last night I went to Willie Nelson's 90th birthday, uh, which was at the at Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Which wow. was, uh, which was pretty amazing. It ended with, uh, Keith Richards and, and Willie Nelson singing, we are going to live forever, <laughs> which That's I was sitting hilarious. there thinking like, they might, they might, that could be true. They might be the first ones. <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. Awesome. Alex, so give us, uh, give us some background, but also, I mean, I, I really want to dig into the specifics of what it is you're doing now, because I think it's incredibly interesting and futuristic, but it's also probably evolved a ton, even over the past 12 months. So I'm really curious, you know, how you got to be doing what you're doing, and then what the hell is it you're doing right now? <laughs> I love it. I, th I ask myself that every day. Uh, yeah, so... I've, I guess my, looking back at sort of my journey or my path, um, both sort of professionally or culturally or personally has always revolved around sort of the intersectionality between culture, um, and technology, but sort of at the core of that, what's always, what's always just driven me since as long as I can remember has been people. I think since I was a little kid, I was obsessed with how people converged or diverged or came together, the motivations, the incentives, like how groups of people could come together to accomplish, uh, you know, accomplish shared goals and interesting things. I think what that manifested in, in, in university was running a college radio station and running my on-campus co-working space that I started and a student-run, you know, tech incubator and was interested in like blurring the lines between multiple genres, as I sort of called it. So it wasn't just about the radio station or just about the startup incubator. It was about throwing tech demo days, right? Have my DJs at the radio station come do ambient sets during a demo day. It was really about the kind of blurring of multiple different cultures. Um, that took me uh, to an organization called Summit that was pursuing this at sort of a, a larger scale through a series and a network of conferences all around the world that were sort of 
creating a new category of ideas festivals. It was kind of like merging a music festival format with sort of a, a traditional stale conference format to create something a lot more multi-sensory, a lot more multidisciplinary, and was there for the last five years wearing, you know, every single hat from sort of creative director to eventually interim CEO and really got to see how communities grow, scale, and the challenges that come with that and, and, and the opportunities that come with that. Learn a ton can we, there. Can we pause yeah. on that for just one second? Because, um, so Summit was started how many years ago now? About 15. About 15. And you were there for, the, for say, let's say the second five. Is that kind of yeah, roughly yeah. correct? Um, exactly. And I mean, it's so interesting for those who don't know Summit, you know, as, as Alex just said, it, it really went from, you know, being kind of a, a conference and like a, maybe a younger, cooler conference, right? It was, there was Summit at Sea and, you know, real luminaries, Bill Clinton, et cetera, you know, speaking uh, at, at, at Summit at Sea and, and really, you know, getting together with that community. Think of it as like a, you know, a tight knit TED, very high level um, communities. But then it, it got incredibly ambitious in terms of creating community. And I think if, you know, I had Balaji uh, on the on the podcast uh, late last year, and you know, he talked about the network state, and you know, ultimately, uh, you know, groups of people that are networked together, owning land, and you know, having diplomatic recognition. I mean, Summit is maybe one of the ones that's become closest because they do actually own land um, collectively, and they have had you know political luminaries speak. So, wow, pretty damn close. Uh, you know, and what what are the 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 lessons of summit that, that you take with you every day? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, so yeah, I think for, for context, what Ian's sort of referencing is about halfway through organizing this network of conferences and festivals all around the world. Uh, the summit community sort of put together this ambitious plan to acquire a sort of a more semi-permanent uh, home where the community could sort of gather year round was the vision. And we, um, found our way through a series of opportunities into a bankrupt ski resort called Powder Mountain that was family run and put together a buyout package for about $50 million from the crowdfunded from the community to purchase the ski resort and sort of develop um, essentially like a temporary, like a temporary city that was a little bit more permanent. And the idea was to sort of create a new frontier of, a, of, a, of, a, of an Aspen or a Telluride, but centered around different ideologies. So same outdoor recreational focus, skiing, snowboarding, outdoor, you know, mountain biking, lake, you know, swimming in the lake, but centered around diversity, ideas, culture, as opposed to a lot of other ski resorts, which were founded, you know, many, many years ago, being a little bit more sort of monocultural. Um, and that was set to be sort of the flagship home base of this global summit community of about 20,000 folks. Um, that would convene over a series of events that would happen seasonally. Uh, and so as for lessons learned, um, you know, it's actually interesting because my passion for DAOs specifically, like new model, new economic models and new governing models for groups of people emerged through my leadership and learning at Summit, where uh, I really began to see the challenges of running a community business in terms of the incentives becoming sort of misaligned over a long period of time through, one, a community's desire to just decentralize over time, which I think is like super inherent to the ethos of any community is like the, the sort of fractalization and independence of subgroups that will emerge over time. And then the desire of a, of a, of a business, which which needs to exist in terms of generating you know, revenue and, and existing sort of creating a lot of challenging nuances of like how do both grow sort of symbiotically. And so I think ultimately what became 
uh, my big, one of my biggest lessons learned from Summit was um, that the challenges of trying to operate like sort of a multi-headed business unit on top of a community ultimately became, became very, very challenging without, um, without the right sort of community incentives or communication channels or ownership. And, and, that, uh, and, and that was probably like the underlying lesson that I think we were playing at with all those different years. And then I think, you know, on top of that, um, the, the big question of like, how do you keep community cool is something that I think about all the time. And I think anyone a part of, anyone who's a part of scenes, culturally, music, art, technology, we think about this all the time. Like Ian, I'm super curious your perspective, because I have a personal belief that nothing stays cool forever. It just goes into different cycles of what cool means. And it's about developing a structure that allows for that coolness to be flexible and adaptive over time and to take on different meanings where then you, you, you sort of escape that conundrum by entering like legacy status where you've gone through enough iterations of yourself through new albums or new inventions or new epochs that then allow you to, to, to escape the trend and become something that is just culturally re resonant. And I think that is a very challenging thing for communities. And I think Summit has very much gone through those different undulations. And that is also another learning lesson is, is, is how to design the right structure so that a community or a brand or a group can stay cool for a longer period of time um, is, is another thing that, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of learned a ton from in my experience at Summit. Yeah. that I mean, just to, just to pause on that, I think that's an incredibly interesting um, observation. And it's, it's funny. I think about it in a whole bunch of scenarios. I mean, look at what I said earlier. I saw, Willie Nelson and Keith Richards. I mean, talk about two people that have gone through the ups and downs of being, you know, more and less cool, right? Um, you know, and think about like the Stones in the '80s, or I mean, when I saw the Stones on, you know, in, when Zoe was born in 1990 on the Steel Wheels tour, we called it the Steel Wheelchair Tour, which is you know funny considering how old they are now, but it's because they weren't that cool anymore. But then. You're right. You know, the, the, the runway gets longer. And, you know, if you've really sort of stayed and stayed true to your ethos, you know, I'm on the board at Dr. Martin's talk about a brand that's, you know, been around forever and is still, you know, both sold in malls and somehow cool, you know, like that's a, that's an incredible feat, you know, a brand like Vans has, you know, certainly had its ups and downs, but generally speaking, you know, you're talking about a brand that you could see on your friend's mom and see on a pro skateboarder. Right. And, and they'll, and it, and it, and it works, it works in both, you know, there's something interesting. I don't want to say the numbers because a, maybe they're not public and B, I might get them wrong from memory, but I was with the CEO of golden goose recently. And he told me, you know, what the, the founder of golden goose, you know, got it to in terms of revenue, you know, over the first, you know, 12 or so years of the company. And it was sort of less than say 20 million in revenue. And then, you know, where they are now, which is, you know, triple digits, triple digit millions, uh, you know, in, in revenue and, and a really, you know, sizable business. And I actually think that that's, um, and by the way, this is one of the lessons I think that I hope people take away from this overall series that, that we're doing, that building brands takes an incredibly long time and there isn't really a venture backed way to build a brand, you know, in, in, the, in the way that we think about in the, in the, in the tech world. Um, you know, in other words, that 12 years of slow growth for Golden Goose was super important to the more hockey stick trajectory that followed. Um, you know, because it's, it's also, I think, to your point, Alex, some of it is just generational, right? Like for Golden Goose, you've got to have like, like a Virgil has to know it as a 16 year old or a 17 year old or 18 year old. And 
you know, know it as a 30 year old. And that, and then what his reflection of it is later is actually super important to the definition of it, right? Because, you know, you've, you've got to, you have, if you, it's impossible to go, oh, this new cool thing, you know, is, is that's much less meaningful than, oh, that was my shit when I was 20. Right. Um, and, and you kind of have to like make it through in a way people are doubting you. But once you've made it through and you've shown that you're really going to be here kind of no matter what, then then you get um, accepted. And I think that kind of brand building is uh, is super interesting. And it's a really interesting lens, you know, to look at, say, Summit or, or FWB as well and realize sort of even after 15 years, you know, how young Summit is as a brand on a relative basis. And then after, you know, however many years, how old FWB is. So let, let's turn to that. Like what, what is FWB and what's your role there? Yeah. Um, so and by the way, the, the funny thing about timelines I always think about is interesting. Yeah. 15 years microscopic. FWB is about two and a half years old. So I, that's like literally embryonic in terms of like the grand life cycle, the grand life cycle of, uh, of brand development. Um, but I find that to be, you know, time as the, as a, as an incredible variable in, in, in development of these different well and at the same time that's right. a that's a that's a long longish or a yeah, midish period of yeah. time in a venture venture backed tech company life cycle exactly 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 um so yeah i think uh in terms of what fwb is and my role is there um so friends with benefits uh is a community um at its core um but really what makes it different is we've created our own sort of cultural currency which is the fwb token um, that connects all of our different communities, sort of endeavors um, and, 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 and projects and outputs under the framework of sort of a new type of social network. Um, and we've been thinking about it really as this new type of social network over the last few years in that when we first originated it, it was purely experimental and frankly an accident. It was bootstrapped inside of a Discord server. Trevor McFedris, the founder who's, who's founded Little Michaela um, and a couple other sort of cultural projects, was former DJ, was really interested in the exploration of um, what cultural, if, you know, could cultural, if, if, if crypto could store financial value in an asset, you know, uh, akin to DeFi, could you store cultural value inside of an asset? And that was sort of like really the art experiment in the framework and had sort of spawned the FWB token as a, as a, as a, as, a, as almost like a, just a sort of a community object or, 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 or sort of an item that he passed amongst different friends inside of art, music and technology spaces as a way to play with the medium in and of itself. And that, that asset was then, uh, you know, a, a Discord server was then sort of gated to that asset. And FWB was born with a dozen folks inside of a Discord talking about what Web3 was before it was even called Web3. And so we always say that since its genesis, FWB has actually been a sort of a social network. It's been one that not, not necessarily that had its own platform, but really a community of folks gathered around a like-minded set of interests and values who were really curious about the sort of mechanics and the, and, 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 and the vision of what Web3 can unlock, which to us is really all revolves around the promise of what does a better internet look like? I think a lot of us grew up on forums. A lot of us grew up, you know, accessing the earliest forms of social networking, the internet, and are quite disappointed uh, and jaded by sort of the current landscape and we're and specifically as it relates to like how creatives and artists are able to create and monetize and distribute their work or how uh, a lot of, how, how folks are able to sort of like custody or own their data a lot of us were really interested in what um what this new sort of you know era represented and fwb sort of was the watering hole in the space where those conversations and those activities were able to congregate so at its essence friends with benefits is um a social network 
um, we have built and now launched our own platform. Um, what makes us unique is we are one of the first social DAOs um, that is operated and governed by a social token. So it's completely community owned in the respect that um, the, 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 the token, the FWB token sort of governs the, the major initiatives and actions that um, the community goes out and pursues, whether it's a music festival that we're doing this summer, um, FWB Fest, or it's, you know, continuing to, you know, invest in various different projects and technology. A lot of that is, is, is sort of decided and discussed and, and, and promoted within this ecosystem um, that is community sort of like operated. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask Alex, like, I think it's super interesting with the kind of, like we were talking about with shared incentives via this kind of tokenized ownership of the community. And I thought it might be kind of nice to, to go into, you know, how we think that worked, right? Like, did that actually align incentives in the correct way? And are there other kinds of ways we could have membership, right? And like, what are the kind of pros and cons of those now that you've been doing it for two years? Like, what do you think of the kind of shared incentives in that structure? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've actually reflected on that for a while. Cause I think in the early days, you know, Trevor and I, we were all really maybe a little bit like blunt in that we thought like the core incentive would be financial. You know, I think we were like, okay, we're, we're now essentially taking an asset and, distributing that with the assets ability to go up or go down. And that'll be the main reason why people want to contribute or do things. I think the learning over time has actually been that it's less about the financial instrument and it's more about what the financial instrument represents in a larger cultural community context. And I say that as in, I think, you know, objects, we prescribe meaning to them. And, and financial value is one of them. But what that really represents is, I think, recognition of, of, of someone's sort of involvement and contribution into, you know, essentially them being a part that contributes to the larger sum of, of its whole. And so I would say that over time, I've actually learned the stronger incentive is creating the right sort of status and the right recognition and the right frameworks for folks to sort of um, receive social signal and community signal and and, 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 and and feelings that their work is being valued. And then the financial instrument or the tokenized component is more of like the underlying, hey, we're all on the same team, um, which is why I've sort of learned, frankly, and have formed the belief that NFTs are actually slightly stronger uh, uh, sort of community objects because they are visual, they have identification, they, 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 you know, they can become one's identity. No one's making a, uh, no one's necessarily making an Ethereum token, their, 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 their profile picture, but they sure as hell are making all these various different PFPs um, because I think folks feel like a, a, a sort of more of a, of, a, of a cultural and identity resonance to that, which I think directly correlates more towards, let's call them community incentives. I was just going to maybe summarize for the audience who's less, in, less familiar with how FWB works. So FWB was started in 2020 and it was a token and then you had to basically buy a certain number of tokens to get access to the community correct if i recall correctly i remember it being like somewhere around 75 dollars worth of tokens um yeah. is, is what it cost when i joined in, in in late 2020 and then those you know and then but then you could buy as many as you wanted 
if you were a big believer, you could, you know, you could buy a, a big bag of, of FWB. Um, price goes up, price goes down, you know, it's, it's crypto speculation land. Right. And then, and, and then if I'm, you know, which if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying, okay, that sort of, you know, crypto speculation does create a set of incentives. Maybe they're not the ones you know, that you want, um, you know, and, or, and, you know, if you were doing it today, you, you may have done it just with sort of a membership token a la proof collective. Am I, is that, is that correct? I don't, I mean, I think what's, what is interesting is like, I think, you know, the, the, what we would have done differently is always an interesting conversation. Cause yeah, I think had ERC 721s or, or, you know, NFTs specifically been more of a form factor then I think the membership component of FWB should have and would have been an NFT, right? Mostly because it allows for uh, uh, the community to actually generate revenue in a way that's mm-hmm. like compliant and makes sense. But I think ultimately, yeah, the 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 FWB as like the social currency of itself, I think does create a lot of interesting behaviors that we see that we really like and we want to promote. Like we see a lot of people giving FWB to other folks to join the community. I don't think you would see that as clearly with an NFT. I don't think people were giving proof collective passes or board Correct. apes to other people to join. And I think that kind of notion of FWB, which especially in bear markets like now, we see a lot more people joining FWB through friends, onboarding their friends, which is, you know, we think of it like the merch table at a, at a concert where it really is a little bit more low stakes, low fi where it is like your onboarding friend through giving them a ticket and then they're coming to the show as opposed to this being this like formal rigid structure. Yeah. And then I guess the other piece that's really interesting about, you know, kind of a, a token ownership in the community is, is voting, right? So can we talk a little bit, you know, for people that might not be as familiar about, you know, kind of how the DAO works from a governance perspective? Yeah. Um, so right now, m- major initiatives are taken to proposal either by sort of the contributing team or the community that goes up on snapshot and the community is allowed to vote on the outcome of that, usually a binary outcome, yes or no, pass or not pass, of that proposal with their tokens. Um, and, and currently that voting is done under a one token, one vote system. Um, but we actually just passed the proposal a week ago or two weeks ago that will be evolving that voting structure into something a lot more egalitarian, shifting it s- slightly more towards um, one member, one vote. So in other words, creating a flatter voting system so that um, votes are more, let's call them contentious, as opposed to uh, 99% pass. Uh, Because I actually think that more contentious voting and discussion is actually ultimately better for a community because it it forces that community to look internally and and question itself, its structure, ways to improve. And and, and in my opinion, if everything is a 99% pass, there's likely like it's not really a solid uh, governance system. And then I, I also was thinking a little bit about like the difference between, you know, interim CEO of Summit, right? And then I think we call you mayor of FWB, right? And so you have this, you know, you were talking about kind of how Summit, you think it kind of, to- every community kind of goes toward decentralization kind of innately. And I wonder like as a mayor of a truly decentralized community like what do you think the big differences in those roles are like how do you see your big role as the mayor of fwb what are you facilitating yeah um so it's funny because i said one day i like 
I said the title of mayor kind of as a joke inside mm-hmm. of the chat and people really liked it. And then it just kind of stuck because I needed a title to call myself when I started speaking at like conferences or on media and stuff. Uh, because I never felt comfortable calling myself like a CEO or a lead because I don't view that as my role. I'm not here to make executive decisions on behalf of a community of people. I don't think that's really possible. Um, and, and, and really when you ask like, what is my ultimate goal? My true goal in terms of my role in this larger like experiment project community is to successfully exit myself out of my own role. Like I think if I can actually do a, the right job and a good job, which um, a lot of it is setting up the right infrastructure, I should hopefully innovate myself out of a role in the next year or two because FWB should be sufficiently decentralized through the right proposal creation processes. I think what's left ahead of me to 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 build to successfully leave it in a position where I can exit or, or a core team can exit is it needs a sustainable revenue model. And that's sort of my core, like laser focus vision over the next objective over the next year and a half is to really establish a sustainable repeat revenue model into a community treasury that can then that the community can then deploy amongst whatever initiatives that it wants to invest in and to set up sort of the right infrastructure, which to us is the mobile application, the events network, the media properties, so that the community can then populate and create that activity on top of that infrastructure that we've created um, to continue to grow and sustain itself. So really like, you know, I view, the reason why the mayor sort of definition really resonated with me a year and a half ago um, was because in a lot of different urban theory discussion and discourse, there's, there's a lot of perspectives that a mayor should never have sort of like a, a mayor's role is to sort of implement the right departments in a city and, 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 and to allow for those departments to sort of coordinate with its citizens or its, or its community to then develop that direction over time and, 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 and versus a mayor having an explicit vision that it mandates on top of its people. And so that's where I try to really walk this line between like, cool, FWB is this community defined thing, but also I'm aware that in moments of crisis or in moments of difficulty, a leader also needs to step in. So that's sort of the fine line of the role that I see in myself. But ultimately my goal is to innovate myself out of a role so that once FWB becomes sustainable, so that it really can be a decentralized network of various different communities, which is how we've always seen FWB. Hmm. Okay. So um, explain that to me a, a little further in, in specifically the vision. For me, you know, I'm a believer in benevolent dictators. I don't, I don't think a democracy could have built Apple, right? Um, and, yeah. But what I'm, I'm, I'm grokking what you're saying, which I think is, uh, is, is you know, deep and interesting. And, and what, what, what you're saying is that if, we, um, if you have this kind of decentralized you know, network of communities, and they sort of have the you know the means of of production and the means of monetization. So there's both a platform and a and a way to make money. Um, you know, then they can self sustain. I would think though that you would always need that leader, as you said, you know, to to kind of um, provide vision. You know, I think as um, Ledger CEO Pascal Gauthier likes to tell the team, um, Napoleon said that leaders do two things: they they de- define. Uh, reality uh, and they give hope, right? And so leadership does, you know, does have a have a place in a in a community. So could you describe for me a, a bit like what you think 
um, FWB looks like a year from now or a year and a half from now. And I'm curious in some of the specifics. You mentioned them already. You know the the um, the, the media properties, um, the the events, uh, the, the, the social network. Yeah, the the app itself. Could you you know and and because even those require decisions on we're going to do this, we're not going to do that. You know and and um, you know and putting those to a vote could could be a little dangerous. You end up with, you know, what Balaji calls a 51% democracy. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm curious, maybe th- just those two things, like what, what does it look like a year from now? And what are the specific things that FWB is doing today to get to that point? Yeah. Um, so I think, firstly, I think I want to sort of uh, opine on, on one component, which I, I actually don't think that future, you know, interesting structures like this are leaderless. Uh, I just think they're leaderful is what I call them. So it's, 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 it's more about promoting a structure where you actually can have emergent leadership because I do think vision is incredibly important for anything to survive or exist or to push forward or to innovate. Uh, I don't think it's a group of people who sort of have a lackluster you know, idea of the future, but it's more so a structure where those, those leaders can be promoted within and, and actually these economies or these communities can be more pluralist in nature as opposed to like necessarily having one explicit person setting a vision over a repeat period of time. At least for me, what I think works for interesting community structures. In terms of what FWB is um, you know, today and wh- where it is in a year, you know, the, the grand exercise of what we've been doing has really been asking ourselves for something that was started without, ex- with, for something that was started without an explicit vision or a purpose, what is its vision or purpose? Like FWB really was just a group of people hanging out in the beginning um, and, and figuring out and making sense of what Web3 was and is and what it continues to be. I think lately, and, and, and really the rallying cry that a lot of us have been getting excited around is this new format of this new form of a social network, one that is community owned, community decided and community sort of like operated and, and what that looks like um, over the next year is really the, 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 the ability to access this digital, you know, platform. And once you access that, you have at your fingertips thousands of events all over the world that are community run and organized from gallery tours to concerts to a festival organized. So it's, it's access to a community run network of events and then the digital social nature that connects all those different nodes and pieces together around topics, conversations, forum culture that connects this network of events. So you can almost think of it like a web three run resident advisor or or, or, or sort of meetup.com, you know, whatever these frameworks of event networks, but one that is sort of bottoms up and, and community governed from, from, from its core. I think the, the meat in between all that, um, that has been really driving a lot of us has been this notion of collective intelligence um, and, and sort of an, an FWB as this collective intelligence network. And, and we think of like lately as the world becomes more and more AI-ified, right? Everything becomes a prompt that you can, you can ask into a, a machine and it spits out the most data-driven, algorithmically correct response. We actually think there's going to be an incline in the need for, for curatorial opinion and perspective. Like I think asking ChatGPT, what restaurant should I go to tonight? It might spit out the number one rated restaurant in L.A., but I'd rather ask Rayhan what I should eat tonight because like, he's just crawled all of LA and knows it has a perspective and an opinion. So we think of FWB as sort of the counter to maybe this more like technical sterile like data sets and search engines. And we think of it as like a human sort of intelligence network that exists on top of the platform that we've created that allows for that intelligence and that information to sort of be harnessed, whether it's through chat, 
or group chat or forums or, uh, you know, sort of content. We think of FWB as like a collectively curated and incentivized intelligence network that gathers over events, festivals, media, et cetera, as almost like a new age lifestyle brand that, that also has these sort of connected properties. And what about the, the sustainability? You said that you're laser focused on, on, you know, creating, um, you know, a, a sustainable model. So how do you do that? Because, you know, so not, none of these things are going to, you know, if, if you and I started a music festival, we might lose money the first couple of years, right? So, you know, shit, that's dangerous. You know, how do we know that that's the right direction to go in? How do we decide it's like not working and we, we pull the cord? You know, how do you do that? That sort of, um, you know, investment, uh, spend money to make money thing in a, in a decentralized way and um, get that flywheel spinning so that this thing is, is sustainable and ultimately scales. Yeah. So I think fundamentally, um, the, the, the core, uh, revenue model, if we're talking about like in like what, what allows, what's, what's sort of the import export model here, right? I think the core export that we're sort of, that we're, that we're sort of bringing outside of the FWB ecosystem in terms of what allows for it to operate is, 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 is building in a sort of repeat revenue stream that I think ties into membership. I think what a lot of people don't know about how FWB works is that when somebody buys FWB tokens to join, the treasury doesn't receive a single dollar of revenue of operating capital. It just goes into the liquidity pool through Uniswap that someone on the other side who's providing FWB and ETH sort of benefits from or, 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 or you know, has FWB taken from or, or deposited to, right? So, um, in, in terms of FWB's sort of historic, it hasn't generated revenue, operating revenue off of its FWB. So the first shift we're making in the next couple of months is implementing a new membership mechanic and a protocol upgrade where now members join, they sort of buy FWB, they sort of interact with FWB, they receive FWB, so they still get ownership in the community, but there's sort of an entry fee or an entry tax that goes into the community treasury. And in exchange, they receive this, this identity card or membership card or passport, as we're calling it. That is then their like access card, benefit card into the FWB ecosystem. So based on our modeling for that, that's already going to make in our current growth rate and the number of people who apply and join, et cetera, that's going to be uh, an incredible improvement just to the overall economic structure of FWB, where that's going to allow for it to operate a lot more sustainably because now we have income in terms of like immigration and immigration tax, right? Yep. Um, I, I think additionally to date, FWB has done about 2 million in sponsorship or partnerships, which is not a great place to rely on, but it's sort of been the only lever that we've been able to pull to remain sort of sustainable. And that comes through the festival that comes through our events that comes through different products and projects. We'll, you know, anything we'll partner with OpenSea to help them curate the homepage and they'll contribute, you know, ETH or, or, or value to the DAO. So we, we, we carve out a number of these different sorts of partnerships or collaborations to generate revenue to the treasury. I think the bigger vision, uh, you know, of how the FWB becomes not only sustainable, but frankly, economically interesting for all parties involved is, F, is, it, is when FWB can really become um, more of an economy. And so that I think means how does FWB become an environment or an ecosystem or a city where there are many to many transactions between members, between structures of the fundamental sort of currency in and of itself. I think that goes up and down based on larger macro conditions of crypto and you know utility of crypto. And that's been probably one of the biggest challenges to be building and sort of inside of. But the overall vision is what does FWB look like more as like a marketplace 
as opposed to a membership club. And that's what we've been really pushing ourselves to think about because I think it's more interesting for all parties involved in terms of not just, hey, all right, this is another extractive membership club model, like uh, let's say a Soho house where you just pay recurring dues. Like there was an interesting conversation, Zoe, that I think you were part of too, where in the community folks were saying, we want, we want FWB to put a membership recurring due on us. And I've never been a part of anything where it's users or it's community were like, charge us monthly. And, and I kind of came in to say, hey, guys, like, it, it's actually incredible that you guys want FWB to be sustainable and recurring. But to charge a $40 a month fee, I don't think I think will actually deter like like like, you know, a, a big chunk of the community besides, the, you know, the 100 active people who are in governance and probably take us further away from this goal of creating an economy which should have frictionless transactions and, and, and interactions where eventually the larger net model of FWB is just increasing GDP and economic activity of its citizens. So um, I would say the larger sustainability model, once we build a lot of these building blocks in place like revenue through, in, you know, let's call them, if we're going to stick with the city analogy, sustainable tax, you know, community aligned tax streams, income, you know, entry, et cetera, to then eventually be exploring more interesting, um, tr- you know, trade exchange models between groups and members inside of FWB. I just want to say something for the listeners because uh, this is—I I love this, by the way. This is this is so truly mind-bending when you think about it because, you know, actually what you're what you're doing, Alex, is you know relatively simple. You're a small group of people kind of showing up to work every day and and you know trying to trying to move this thing forward, right? It's what anyone does at at, at any startup. Um, you know, at the same time, I encourage the listeners to go um, check out my, you know, the podcast I did with Balaji Srinivasan in, in, I think it was back in October. It's on the, it's on, on, on the Ledger series and he's done a bazillion others, including like an epic eight hour Lex Friedman. But, you know, um, you know, the, the, the concept of the network state, which you can read at the networkstate.com is really relevant, you know, backstory to what Alex is talking about. The other thing is on Balaji's podcast himself, he has a great podcast um, with the founder uh, with the founder and also the CEO, those are two separate people um, at Shopify, um, who are self-proclaimed crypto maxis, and Shopify has a GDP that's larger than a lot of um, a lot of countries. And it's interesting, you know, when you think about um, it's not that. Um, in other words, what I was going to encourage the audience to do is join FWB for exactly the same reason that I did back in 2020, and exactly the same reason I encouraged encourage Zoe to around the same time or shortly thereafter. Um, because what an incredible experiment to watch and be a part of. And you guys really are trying to find the dynamics of a network state. Um, And actually, for anyone listening, you have this opportunity to be a part of it, (laughs) which is, so you can listen to this conversation and you can go, okay, these guys are weird. Um, Or you could do what I encouraged Zoe to do, which is like, jump in. Um, And just feel what it's like and, you know, be a part of it. As you're saying, Alex, it's a, it's a democracy of sorts, right? Where, you know, somebody who's listening right now could be a voting member of what you're doing tomorrow. Literally, you're not, you know, keeping them out. You're, you're not, you know, you're, you're actually inviting them, inviting them in. And, you know, what an incredible experiment, because what you're saying is, is that what you'd like to get to is an actual economy. And I love that you're using the words like immigration tax, um, and you're talking about having, you know, kind of uh, a tax base and, you know, but then ultimately what you want is for the community members to benefit from one another. And that's what you mean by economy. Am I, am I correct? 
Exactly. And I think I love that you, you, you've been referencing Balaji because, you know, he, a lot of his, while I'm not 100% aligned with a lot of his network state theory, I do think the frameworks are interesting. And he actually wrote us when we put out the application, when we put out the mobile app saying that he thought this was one of the interesting emerging paths to network states and decentralizing, decentralizing social media. He said, build a private social network in Discord, set up an admissions process to ensure community alignment and then eventually build your own platform and code your own app. And I thought that was really interesting because he essentially regurgitated back to us our plan under his like network state form framework, because that is exactly what we've been trying to do. And we started first with the sort of currency in and of itself, which if you, you know, if you read, you know, David Graeber and, you know, the first thousand years of death, the whole idea of like, you know, humans were trading seashells between each other and, and ascribe meaning to those objects and, and often, uh, you know, communities and economies are started first through gifting and, until something yep. becomes recognized as the sort of unit of, 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 of value between a group of people that then get prescribed meaning. And FWB was whatever, 0. 0.005 cents in its early days. It wasn't even about the money. It was about its meaning. And so, yeah, Ian, I think to, 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 to kind of, you know, reflect off of what you shared, like, you know, the day to day, it does feel like a small group of people dealing with all the trials and tribulations of a startup, which is like, you know, and I always joke around at folks who ask, what's it like still working in crypto? And are you still invested in it? Like, yes, I'm still invested in it, but it comes with incredible challenges that it's building a startup inside of this larger, you know, insane macro, uh, you know, sort of ecosystem. But I think the, 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 at the end of the day, full stop, the core motivational driver to all of us who are contributing to FWB, I think to a majority of the community members who are invested and in, 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 in participate is we just do believe in more interesting economic models for communities and groups of people. We're really, how, right. how, how, how realistic is a FWBB, as an FWB token based economy right now? Probably not that realistic, but how interesting is it in a world where if, if we can all continue to build projects, media, technology, culture on top of this platform that continues to grow and, 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 and scale, how interesting is it for a, 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 you know, sort of a digital network, you know, a, a city that does, isn't physically distributed yet to exist? That's what's really, really, I think, motivating to all of us. Yeah. And, and I would just say, too, like, I just remember joining FWB in 2020. We're all locked in our houses. And, like, you know, it really did feel like, you know, a new iteration of IRC with, like, a bunch of really interesting people to, like, hang out with. Right. Like that. That was our friend group right, in 2020. And so we have this, like, really deep connection, right, with the kind of founding members. And then what I what I just want to talk about quickly, as I know we're kind of coming up toward the end of the conversation here, is, you know, what we've been able to do at FWB now is start to see all of these people IRL, right? And last year was the first time that FWB Fest happened. I didn't make it because I had a brand new infant um, then, but I know it was it was magical and incredible. And I just wanted to give you a, a chance thing to kind of like tell us a little bit about what it's like to kind of convene the community, you know, out off of the discord and, and give us a preview of kind of, you know, what to expect for fest this year, you know, what, what's going to be new and improved after our learnings from, from fest one. Yeah. Um, so I think a big component of friends with benefits is this URL to IRL relationship. I think what sets us apart from a lot of other DAOs or sort of crypto, pure crypto networks 
is the network stick component that we really want to use the platform and the tooling to convene people in person. I think how we started this conversation about my fundamental passions and interests is bringing people together. It's why I worked in music. It's why I worked in art. I believe that those are incredible mediums for strengthening human connection. And FWB Fest was sort of a community, our, our community's biggest expression of that, where we convened, you know, 600 people at a, at, a, at, a, at a private liberal arts campus, high school campus that we rented out last summer to essentially take this digital city framework that we've been talking about and bringing it to life. And so the idea was like half community contributors, half music and talent that we booked that were sort of adjacent to our community three days of sort of deprogrammed experience. So it, 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 it felt almost like, you know, it had the sort of framework of a, of a, of a conference or a music festival and that there were talks and, and performances. But the most interesting things by far were the conversations happening, you know, in, in the woods and the campus and, and a lot of the unstructured conversations that just took place in the library where groups of people came together to talk about, you know, the future of composable NFTs or putting together new proposals for different projects. And so the vision for it really is, um, and, and FWB has sort of been this amalgamation of different people who have worked in events over, over the last 20 years, is can we create a sort of pop-up semi-autonomous zone or temporary city for a few days in the woods? It's kind of back to our, I don't know, communist Marxist, like back to the farm kind of energies, but we're really interested in like, while it might look like a music festival, the larger vision is essentially creating a participatory multi-day convening experience. No difference than like, you know, a Ren, a Ren Fair or, you know, Burning Man as like frameworks where they are bottoms up and community run um, that exist to convene, you know, what we sort of have been calling the best in class and sort of state, you know, the current state of internet culture, technology and art. Um, and so the vision for Fest this year, you know, taking place in early August, August 4th is to sort of convene all these different components of the of, of the FWB ecosystem again for uh, for three days and to really make it a place where, you know, it is where we come to share the latest and greatest art music technology that is occurring inside of our ecosystem to the broader world. And this is the first year where we're just selling tickets because so many people wanted to come last year who couldn't get over the hurdle of buying an NFT to come. And this year we're just selling tickets and, and making FWB sort of the community currency on the ground at the festival. And we're really excited to see how that sort of pans out with uh, an incredible roster of talent um, that we're going to be actually announcing in about a week or so. Wow. So this is, this is the, this is the music fest, right? Yeah. And, um, and where will it be? And, and, you know, in Idlewild, in Idlewild again. Yeah. Same Amazing. location. I think they, uh, they funded a skate park last year at Idlewild. If I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, which I, I don't know. Oh if yeah. I'm Ian, going. you would have loved this. They're there. I don't know if you've been to Idlewild, but it's this kooky little mountain town about, uh, two hours east of LA. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm familiar with it, but I've never been. It's incredible. And it's, it's, it's it, okay. If you love Topanga, it's like the weird, weirder cousin of Topanga. And so uh, during the festival, there were flyers all around the campus saying, help fund the local skate park um, in Idlewild. And we all saw it. And, you know, obviously we all loved it and fucked with it. And so we uh, essentially spun up a crypto fundraising version and we raised the 20 grand in like, you know, whatever, five minutes. And we helped the school like transfer the crypto into a wallet, turn it into cash, fund the skate park. And now they've spray painted the birds on the skateboard ramp. 
and we're gonna do like a little opening skate park demo uh this year on the thursday of the festival oh man that is that is amazing i love that that is a that is a great story and it, it does encapsulate like the power of of what you're doing and that's that's what i that's what i was really trying to do before too because there is kind of the the heady philosophical side of it and then there's the day-to-day um you know you're you are you know you're writing code you are um, managing a community. You are helping physical community. You know, I was texting you on um, whatever night that was, Thursday night, saying, "Hey, can you help me get into Stubbs?" <laughs> because Rayhan was DJing, and and uh, and my mom and I wanted to come. Um, you know, so and and to that, can you will you tell people we, we've referenced it, but we haven't described it. The you know the net, the social network, the mobile app. What you know, what is it? Where are you with it? Um, and then I'm curious overall, um, you know, how's it going, you know, in terms of like numbers, I know like, you know, the world of crypto has been up and down and, you know, and especially the world of NFTs is, is, you know, as down as it's ever, as, as it's ever been in the past two years, you know, so where, where are you guys, what are you seeing and, and feeling and, and what are, what, what are the numbers look like in your community, but maybe start with what is the mobile app and what's your ambition there? And then how's it going, getting it rolling? Yeah, so I think the, the the genesis for the mobile application was was we were sort of everything has been built on top of Discord to date, right? Like we've we've created all these bots, we've created all these like tool like unique custom tools that all sit on top of Discord. But I think we all agree the future of DAOs and the future of whatever Web three is does not look like a Discord server. So we were pretty clear on that about a year ago. We began to build various different tools. The first one we created was a, a tool called Gatekeeper, which was our own ticketing RSVP. Uh, Web3 system that allowed for anyone who held a token to essentially sign up for a ticket to a physical event and verify that on site. We started to build all these other tools that didn't have a central hub or central user experience until we realized like, wait, we probably just need our own mini platform. We don't want to recreate Discord, but we probably should build something that is unique to FWB, so custom community tooling that fits the needs of a decentralized events network, which is what FWB is. And so uh, the FWB application is essentially a step in that direction. And we launched its V0001 to our community about two months ago. Um, and it essentially contains three, three major components. One, all of our events are now aggregated into one place where you can sign up for the events, register for the events, create your own events all inside of one application. Two, governance. So now you can vote and, and directly see what's up for vote inside of one application. And then three, the main sort of hub, which is the social feed, where you can now see the aggregated social activity of FWB in one sort of location and, and, and feed. And so the idea is taking the, 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 the core community memetics and behaviors that we've seen exist in the FWB ecosystem, but, but take the parts that we felt like were a lot simpler and distill that into its own user experience. So the larger vision for the FWB application is to become the software that powers and operates all of FWB and eventually replaces Discord over a, a multi-year horizon. We're not trying to replace it yet because clearly the Discord is still the home of FWB, but we want to first start with utility, ticketing, governance, benefits, identity, profile, status, reputation, all those sorts of things that Discord can never do, and then eventually begin to sort of consume and have the main a, a, a main sort of citizen or members experience in FWB be this mobile application that grants you access to this network state essentially. Um, so it is, it really is meant to be our digital, uh, our digital home. And what we saw in the first, you know, month of launch is we saw like 60% network conversion, which is amazing. Everyone joining the app. 
And then we have like a 70% retention rate of people like opening the app, checking it daily, which is a really cool signal that people want to see what's happening inside of this ecosystem. They just couldn't use Discord anymore because Discord has like a major fatigue issue of like, once you've joined five communities, you're pretty much shot and you can't really like filter through them all. Um, so that's, that's kind of our vision for the mobile application. Um, in terms of like macro crypto headwinds and, and numbers up, down, I think, yeah, I think we're all in the same kind of bucket, right? I think liquidity is just down across the board in terms of like who has spare cash to put into a liquidity pool that then, you know, is what sort of like bolsters and upholds sort of numbers and price. I think, you know, we view it at FWB as like, you know, a, a, an opportunity, frankly, where we actually see higher numbers of applicants joining and, and, and frankly, better applicants joining more creatives when price and economy is down because they're, they view it a little bit more as like experimental, I'll jump in. It's only a couple hundred bucks as opposed to at its peak, it was like $8,000 to join FWB, which was actually really upsetting me because I was like, cool, we now literally can't and we can't we can't welcome the people we want most to join the community when we're doing our best. So that's actually a big component of this membership proposal that just passed is we're decoupling immigration policy from monetary policy. So now in the future, when we implement this new uh, membership for, uh, upgrade, as FWB price increases again, that won't gate mem mem fixed and en uh, entry will be fixed from now on. It'll be a flat price. Immigration price is what you pay to join FWB and it's a lot more accessible. And there will be the FWB component that is more variable, but it will never reach now the issue of like FWB is now $30,000 a join because it's way too expensive. I was just going to say it kind of decouples the, the membership from the casino, right, of, the, of, of, of crypto kind of hype, which is, which is cool. Um, yeah, I, I, no, I think it's so, super interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I know um, if you guys have a, a few more minutes, there's a one big topic that we didn't get to cover, Alex, um, and that is the, the we, we touched on it, but we didn't go deeper. And I'd like to, which, and that's the, the topic of brand and, you know, creating, you know, creating brands in, in this world. What's your vision for FWB as a brand? And, you know, how do you, how do you think you get, you know, to that place where you are a long-term brand that, you know, is, is is kind of as meaningful as the Aspen Institute or one that, as you were saying earlier, kind of runs on its own power? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I spend most of my time sort of thinking about that intersectionality between community culture and brand and like sort of the theory around all of that and, and, and have various different beliefs of like, can a decentralized community truly create a legacy brand? I think there's interesting examples of, say, like, you know, the Grateful Dead and, 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 and Deadheads. And I think that being a pretty emergent bottoms up culture, um, but still having its icons and its heroes and the folks sort of setting the aesthetic and the vision. But then the community is who's doing the remix culture. Like, you know, I went to my, I went to a, a I went to a dead show last summer in Bethel, sort of home of Woodstock as like the Mecca, just cause I was super curious to see what that experience would look like. Cause I'd gone to dead shows at the, at the, at the Hollywood bowl and, you know, wanted to see what, what the, what the source looked like. And my mind was blown. It was like, you know, shakedown street rows and rows and rows of like remix culture taking place of moms for dead, making mom merch, like, you know, vets for dead, making dog pouches with tie dye and dead, dead lore and memorabilia. So I frankly think of FWB culture as fitting closer into that sort of realm. So less sort of like top-down brands are 
super tight, you know, our logo can only be displayed in this way ever. I think what's most interesting about FWB is creating this foundation and allowing for the community to sort of iterate upon it, creating more of like a headless brand structure. So really, I think sort of a model that we really look for in the future um, has been one in which we think of like, all right, what does FWB look like as the ultimate sort of headless community owned lifestyle brand? So you can insert various different like culture brands, clothing brands, whether that's like Supreme or whether that's, you know, these different brain dead, these different like cultural brands that, that sort of convene people. What does that look like in a more sort of bottoms up community owned way? Um, and we also think about it as well, like, you know, in, in early days, like, you know, it's, it's less, less in terms of scale, but I think a web, like a, like a LVMH structure is incredibly interesting. And, you know, that took an incredibly long period of time and a legacy to sort of create. But I, I, we've always been inspired by this notion of co-owned properties and, and sort of invested properties that retain their own IP with this sort of parent brand that sits sort of in the background, but that still has a legacy sort of brand attached to it. And so we think of FWB as we now hold equities and tokens in many different projects that we've incubated. And we think of the development of some of, you know, of those as our own individual brands um, that FWB over, let's say in 10 years is a holding group, is a, is a community owned holding group of these various different properties like the music festival, like the software sort of app application process, like the various different companies that have spun out of FWB from our hackathons and our various different community initiatives. So we see it being somewhere as a hybrid between like a holding company and a lifestyle brand that is a little bit more headless and that the community is able to sort of interpret it with a very foundational set of brand guidelines that, that we've sort of instilled and put forward. And how do you keep it cool? The ultimate million dollar question. Um, I think you keep it cool by allowing it to blow up and re-come together again a bunch of different times. I think people, cool kids love chaos. And I think by like allowing and viewing any brand as having life cycles and epochs and allowing for this consistent divergence and convergence to come back together again and this like fractalization, I think that's how you keep it cool. Like I think event, you know, it's funny, I've watched it from FWB start where, you know, it was like, couple of us in the me, Rayhan, Trevor, et cetera, in the room, you know, cooking to now like I'm viewed as kind of like the government and I'm not cool anymore. And it's like kind of, it's fine. I'm sick. I'm down with it. Cause there's now a whole new group of people in FWB where I, there's mutual respect, but now they're like trying to work on their own stuff inside of it. And I think it's our role as the organizing structure to, to give those groups resources, to fund them, to give them spotlights, to give them status, to let them fork or build things inside of it that then can exit it that are that are still sort of attached to it in some way so there's connectivity i think that's how you keep things cool is you allow for a community to feel empowerment and independence to define their own subcultures because i think you know a big reference i draw from is christopher alexander the architect and he says any great city is a mosaic of subcultures which is something that i've always resonated with it's like new york city is cool because Bushwick is in the same zone as the Upper East Side. Both have totally different meanings of cool, but what makes New York City cool is the fact that both citizens of both neighborhoods can go kick it in Washington Square Park. And so like that's at least how I think a lot about the design in FWB is now you have, you know, we're at almost like 8,000, 9,000 token holders, 
there's so many different factions. There's like the tech guys at FWB. There's the cool scape kids in FWB. There's the anarchist FWBs. It's like, let them all do their own things. Let them build their own superstructures inside of FWB. Create Washington Square Park where they can all convene every now and then, which to me is like fast. And buy loose joints. And to me is the yeah. I think it was David Lee Roth got busted for buying loose joints in Washington Square Park. So I think that that's exactly. a, that is that is exactly the right call. And it's I mean it's really a great place to to wrap on. Um, I, I love that analogy. I love that what you're saying. And I also think you know for for people who are listening again when I say come join FWB, that's that's not um, a recruiting track tactic or it's not financial advice. It's really just saying if you're listening to this and you're interested in this topic, here's a great experiment that is running today. That's not theoretical. Again, you can sit at home by yourself and read the network state, um, which I recommend. But I also recommend you know participating in something that that's happening in real time, and you know and 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 watching it un, unfold. And and I, I like what I like what you're saying there. You know, I always say that. There's no such thing as crypto. You know, crypto is is a is a collection of communities. I also think you know it's interesting and and um, directly related uh, that you know I, I also say that Discord is kind of a great representation of humanity at the moment because it's a it's a collection of closed communities. And what you're saying is even within FWB, you know, what you want FWB to be is a a collection of communities. You know, like like New York City is um, that all come together. Uh, in a, in a town square. Um, and I, and I love that. I think that that's a, that's a, a really, um, kind of brilliant e experiment. Um, and I think that, you know, the, to your point, like, uh, look, I mean, um, when New York was more dangerous, it was also more cool. Um, you know, these things do go, these things do go in cycles. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see exactly uh, where it ends up, you know. One one thing, just a, the, a comment that I wanted to make personally, thinking about what you were saying about leadership and, you know, kind of working your way out of a job, um, and then thinking about LVMH. The thing I was going to share is what's what's a great lesson from LVMH for me is LVMH. You know, Ben Adorno's investment thesis is to back creativity with operational efficiency. So he creates that structure um, so that the creative people can survive and thrive. And, you know, the, the modern day Celine led by Adi Sleman at this point is a great example where, you know, after Phoebe Philo, a lot of people thought Adi Sleman was the wrong choice. Um, I think revenue went down in, in the first year and now it's gone significantly up from where Phoebe left it. And it's an incredible success story. And it is the story of LVMH really putting all the right um, structure around that creative individual um, and having the patience uh, to do that. I think, you know, that, that some of these concepts where, you know, you have, um, you have a leader and that's a, a CEO, you know, who, who can kind of create that operational efficiency and all of the, you know, things that are behind the scenes that no one thinks about, you know, distribution and, and, and whatnot that you don't think about. It's not sexy to think about, but it's important. Um, and then uh, you have kind of, the the various things that surround the creative person maybe that's a you know editorial support um you know storytelling you know there are a whole bunch of components there so i think what you know what i hope is that you do get the right leadership i like when you said that um it's it's not leaderless it's leader full because i think that that's actually what you have in an lvmh lvmh is quite leader full it is quite distributed exactly. actually it is you know ben Adano is a ceo of exactly zero brands at LVMH, right? What he has is incredible CEOs uh, across nearly a hundred brands. Um, so LVMH is a great example actually of something being leader full. Um, and it's also a great example of um, a, an, an indisputably incredible financial endeavor 
right? It's gone from 100 billion to 500 billion over the last uh, 10 years in terms of of value. And Ben Adano is is now the top of the Forbes list. You know, um, at the same time, its its core premise is you know kind of creativity on on some level to support to support um, creative endeavors. So I do think it's a very interesting an analogy and one that one that I will think about more. Um, so Alex, thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, and, and Zoe, thank you for, you know, for bringing me into this. Um, we want to end every show with, uh, with, with a few, um, standard questions and get everyone's take on them. And the first one, you know, uh, it's, it's Ariel Wengroff, um, at, at Ledger, uh, you know, who, who kind of pushed us in this direction. I know through conversations with, with you, Alex, um, and the topic here that, that resonates with a lot of creative people that we speak to is creative custody. In other words, you know, um, you know, the, the ownership of creative people changing, but what does creative custody mean to you? So, yeah, I think what, what creative custody means to me is synonymous to creative ownership, which to me ultimately represents creative empowerment. I think what drew me into this space in the beginning was the notion that if you own something, you are you, you feel more empowered, right? You have that sort of end-to-end -end control. It can't be taken away from you. That that that, that sort of a of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an identity framework around your assets, whether it's your creative assets, your cultural assets, your IP, the fact that you can own that and something that you can take with you, I think is incredibly liberating and I think represents sort of the next wave of if there's something that you can own that is yours, but it can still be networked with other properties, that feels like the logical long tail next step of breaking from dependence on platforms that we have no relationship with and that have completely different incentives with. So I think that takes time to get there, but I think creative custody to me, to me means creative empowerment. I, I, um, I think the next question that we have goes in, you know, stems from the vein of we're kind of transitioning, you know, the buzzwords are from web two to web three. But if you think about it as going from, you know, things that were made to kind of organize information, like the Googles of the world, to things that we are thinking about, kind of like you just mentioned, the, the value chain, right, and how we ascribe value to things. You know, one of the things we're, we're wondering is how you think of transitioning from you know, uh, working in a world of information to a world of value? And if you have advice for people that are kind of trying to make that shift? I think just like we saw in the world of information, there will only be a faster and faster scaled vacuum of that information of more and more noise and signal to noise ratio becoming decreased over time. And I think the same thing is going to happen in the era of value. And I think the thread that connects both of them is having a distinct perspective and opinion and the, the value of, cura of curation. So I think in a world where information becomes more and more sort of commoditized, I think eventually assets will become more and more commoditized. I believe in a world, I think in 20 years, 10 years, everything will have an asset, a digital asset attached to it. Everything will have a value attached to it. And I think the you know, the relationship to that will be who actually has a perspective and an opinion and can curate and lead. And so it'll be, it'll be assigning order. It'll be assigning cultural order to those various different assets beyond their financial value. And so 
is that my question was going to be, I like to work backwards from, mm. you know, what are the things that, that, that we, um, that we know will be true, but we don't know how we get there. You know, in the world of, of, you know, in, in 2002, I knew that there would be a subscription music future, but I couldn't have predicted it would be led by a, a company from Sweden. And I couldn't have predicted the iPhone would come in 2008. So we were sort of directionally correct, but there were these specifics that we just couldn't get. You know, I, I believe that, you know, 15 years from now, our government document will be digital. And, you know, when we tap to pay, we won't be using credit rails. You know, there, you know, and it won't take me two days to do a wire transfer. You know, there, I, I think, you know, there are many things that, that we know, but I don't know exactly how we get there. I think there are a lot of bumps in the road on the way to that. Um, but what is that thing that, you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, that is just impossible for the average person to imagine today that, um, you know, that, that you think will just be a part of human life? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I keep coming back to, I think universal single auth will be will be a thing that'll be hard to imagine, but but will exist everywhere. I think the idea that if we already if we if we believe in a tokenized future where everything is an asset or every, or and I use the word asset not necessarily that everything has a financial value, but that everything is a thing that you can own. I think eventually the custody of that moves away from this, this, this network of different platforms where I have the same email, like this email password combo that's rigged to like thousands of platforms that I use, I think eventually will shift to, I have identity cards that are digital attached to each of these that I get issued for joining a new website or joining a new thing. That data is custodied and owned by me in my wallet on my, and my, you know, via my, um, you know, my internet, my IP, my connection. And I move seamlessly through the internet using my single login and I don't have to create a new login every single time I want to do something. I don't have to forget password and reset it because it for like all these different user experiences thing. I think eventually there's single off, which I think Google and Facebook got kind of close to, but they were just built inside of central companies. So they'll never be able to reach the scale that, that I think just a purely custodied single off will will uh will look like where you can eventually eventually envision ian your the, the the passport being in your actual passport being in there as well and interacting with different websites and then i think what gets more interesting is if that becomes true then the ability to transfer import reputation over from these different platforms imagine being able to join a new social network and all of your followers or all of your distribution moves with you to that new platform and you're not now saying hey everyone just made a tiktok on my instagram come click this is subscribe here and like migrating people over i think eventually all of that data social graph lives in something that you own that is attached to your identity um that other platforms will have to rewire themselves to call to as opposed to the other way around i love that i mean i think that it's funny i've been saying you know the future of identity is ownership and then as soon as i had that realization i realized that the presence of identity as ownership um, in the physical world, right? I mean, I can move borders uh, during COVID because I have both a U.S. passport and a French work ID. I am the owner of both. Therefore, I have privileges that, that other people on the planet don't have. And, you know, as a, an FWB holder, you know, there was a party in Paris once that I could get into that other people couldn't. You know, it's that same thing. And, and so digital ownership, um, you know, gives you that kind, you know, it's not, I've never gotten into something because I have a Google login. Right. Um, ownership yeah. is the thing that that uh, that can give you that. Awesome. It's really, really great to, to start off this way. Thank you for uh, for doing this yeah. with us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.